It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would, take your pew Bible or your Bible that you brought with you and open up to the book of 1 Samuel. In just a few minutes, we'll continue our study from this morning in 1 Samuel. We want to be sure and let you know about a way that we want to reach out and help single mothers. We have a car care clinic that will be held here it's Saturday, April 25th. These flyers are at the Member Connect kiosk. And if you know of a single mom, you know that one of the things that usually it would be a tremendous help to them is to help have help in maintaining their car. And we're going to reach out to them. We're going to help them at that time while they wait for their oil to be changed and for belts and hoses and things like that to be examined. Uh, we'll also be helping their children while they're waiting, and we'll try to do something nice for them while they're waiting. And it's going to be a tremendous outreach to let them know that we care. And at a time of financial concerns, it'll also be a big help in that particular area. And so what we need you to do, if you know of a single mother, uh, be sure and get this flyer in their hand because it tells them the phone number to call so that they can schedule that day because we will need for that to be by appointment so that Uh, the best care can be given. And so be sure and pick that up and get that into the proper hands. We look forward uh, to really reaching out this year and finding people where they're hurting and fulfilling the needs where they're hurting. And so uh, we be prayerful about that. And our prayer is that we can reach out and help a lot more than just with their car. But if that's where we can begin, that's where we'll be glad to begin and to serve. As I want to mention to you, Uh, Robert Dickerson. You probably have heard in the announcements, uh, you've seen in the bulletin, but uh, hospice has been called in. And and some of you will say, you know, I've heard that name. I I don't know Robert very well. Uh, Robert has been a part of this congregation for several years, but he has been sick the entire time he's been a part of this congregation. Uh, He was on the transplant list for a liver uh, for many years and uh, cancer has came back and he is no longer on that list and hospice has been called in. His mother has come up from Alabama and is living with him and helping care for him. And it would be a tremendous encouragement if we could just reach out through cards and and through prayers. And I know Meals on Wheels reaches out to them and others that do know them are reaching out. And so if you know them, now would be a wonderful time to reach out. If you don't know them, now would be a wonderful time to send a card. It's in your bulletin, your Sunday bulletin. Uh, Be sure and do that this week, if you will, and and be sure to be praying. And uh, we are very much uh, supportive of this, uh, these individuals during this time. Also, just an FYI, if if you have not uh, read the the bulletin, the mail-out bulletin this week, uh, there is an article on the inside about our our brother Ray Burchett Jr. You'll uh, enjoy catching up and seeing where he is. And just a reminder, I received an email back from him over the weekend. And, and uh, it was just a, a, an appreciation for our prayers and, and asking for us to continue praying. And so uh, be sure, if, if you don't still have your mail-out bulletin, you know you can go to www.mountjuliet.org and uh, that article is still posted there. And we appreciate Jeff Whittle and all that he does, keeping our website fresh, keeping it updated, and uh, the many good things that come on a weekly basis from that particular work. We are thankful to have our youth back home. Fourth and fifth graders had a retreat. Sixth through twelfth graders had a retreat and had a wonderful calling and caring campaign Friday night and Saturday. So we have a whole auditorium full of folks here that are recharged. They're, they're on fire spiritually, and we look forward to seeing the good things that God has planned for us this week. How will we serve God? 
God. As we think about the lesson today, you already know from coming out of this morning study, if you were here, you know that we are targeting this lesson in the sense of what can we as parents offer to our children. But as you see from this morning study, it's much broader than that. It's really what all of us as children of God can do and should do. And one of the things that stands out very clearly as we read through our daily Bible readings, as we went through 1 Samuel, the first, second, and third chapter, it's real obvious that we see a real positive, spiritually upbeat story about Samuel. But as this young man is growing and developing and we see all of this positive, it's like almost, now this is a little bit of exaggeration, but it's not much. It's almost like every other paragraph, we see something positive about him, but then the writer, by holy inspiration here, says, let me tell you something negative about Eli's sons. And so it's that contrast that really is just magnified when we see, wow, look at this great in Samuel's life. He was a young man. Look at this bad in Eli's sons. They didn't grow up to be the same kind of young man. And so this morning, we began a lesson that's two-part, and that is, number one, these are the things that we see in the life of Samuel, and if we can help our children obtain that so that they can grow up to be Samuel types. But then we also take the time tonight to look and say, okay, as we keep going back and forth in second and third chapter of 1 Samuel, and now we see the negatives of Eli's sons, and we say, okay, Let's learn from those negatives. Let's don't live them out ourselves and learn from them. Let's study Eli's sons and say, these are the things as individuals we don't want to become. These are the things as our children, we're raising them as parents, we want to help them avoid these things. And so tonight, let's do just what we did this morning. Let's go back and, and let's read six verses. We might even sneak a seventh one in tonight as we look at Eli's sons. We're going to be reading about... Hophni and Phinehas, and if you'll be looking at 1 Samuel, the second chapter, I'm going to begin uh, with verse 12, but just in a minute we're going to read the second chapter in verse 16. All right, look in verse 12. We have the setting here in 1 Samuel 2 and 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. To me that's interesting that that's the way God chooses to introduce to us the rest of this story. You know, we could if we didn't have that introduction. Maybe we go in and say, well, maybe they're not as bad as what we thought. Or, or we might see some of the things that we're doing and say, wow, I wonder why they're like that. God just comes out and says, let me tell you, right out of the gate here, we have a problem with these sons. They are corrupt. You know, when, when we think of a metal corroding and, and we realize that it's losing its integrity. We realize it's losing its strength, that it's no longer pure, that things are, are causing it to rust or dissolve away in time. Here we see sons that they're corrupt. And the whole problem is this. They do not know the Lord. I make the plea, of course, to all of us, but especially as parents. What are we doing? We must be intentional to help our children know the Lord. It's not just about knowing scriptures, and it's not just about going to a worship service or a Bible class. Those three things are so important. But it is up to parents to make sure that all of that knowledge that they learn in the Bible and all of those worship services and Bible classes, it's up to parents to help all of that translate into day-to-day -day life. What does this knowledge look like when it's no longer intellectual facts, but now it's brought down to day-to-day, -to -day, I know the Lord. Do our children think of God as a far-off object that has nothing to do with our life? Or do our children see God as, as one that walks with them, as one that strengthens them? It's in God they find their identity, and it's in God that they find and want to obtain a reputation to be godly. It's in God that, that is their motive. They find their purpose. They find either their approval or their disapproval in God. 
Can we say that we try our best as parents to raise children that know God? Here's the summary of Eli's sons. They were corrupt. They did not know God. But this morning we studied about a young man that was righteous, that that fulfilled so many things in life. Why? He knew God. He lived for that God. And so let's look at these scriptures and and then we'll come back and and build uh, the the outline on these uh, six scriptures right here. Look at verse 16. We're still in the second chapter. And if the man... Oh, by the way, let me real quickly tell you what's happened in these two or three verses here. The priest had had sacrifices that were brought to them. The priest had the right by law to take a three-pronged fork and, and reach in as the sacrifice was being boiled and they could pull out and whatever flesh came out on that fork, that was the priest's portion. You know, the priest would live off the sacrifices. And so they could reach in, pull it out. That was the priest's portion and the rest was to be offered to God. And so you have people bringing in sacrifice. They're watching their sacrifice be offered to God. They're watching the priest just reach into the boiling water and pull out their portion. And what we have here is that being explained. But then in their corruption, his sons were doing something Completely different from that. Look at verse 16. And if the man said to him, this is the people talking to the sons, they should really burn the fat first. And that was the best part of the offering. That was to be given to the Lord. That was to be burned first. But also that was the part apparently that they were wanting to steal. He says, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I'll take it by force. Now, can you imagine? These are the religious leaders. They're bringing a sacrifice in. It is not their right to just start, well, the meat's still raw. They're, they're walking around saying, ooh, I like that cut. Oh, I like that sacrifice there. The meat's not even boiling yet. And they're saying, I'll take that. And this person that's bringing a sacrifice says, you don't have the right to do this. I brought this to offer to God. Hey, let me tell you something. You don't give this to me right now, I'll take it by force. You're one way or another, you're going to give me this offer. This is the religious leaders. This is how corrupt that these men had become that were the sons of Eli. And now notice the second reading. And and by the way, you'll see underlined there on your screen, that first one, I'll take it by force. We're going to build a point out of that in just a moment. Now look at 17. Therefore, this is the summary. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offerings of the Lord. People no longer wanted to bring offerings to God. Here are the religious leaders. They were to help people grow closer to God. And people were saying, I don't want to take my offering up there. I'm trying to make an offering to God, and it is Eli's sons that's stealing my offering. I hate when I have to take offerings to them. I just feel like I'm giving it away instead of sacrificing it to God. Well, God, how do you look upon this? God says, I look at this as a very great sin that these men are committing. Now let's look at the third passage. We're going to drop down to verse 22. And by the way, this was a part of the scripture reading this morning that that led us into all of this study. Look in 22. We see another sin that they're involved in. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel. Can you imagine how his heart was breaking? And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meetings. So now not only do we have their previous sin of their greed and the perversion of their religion through the stealing the sacrifices, but now we add, in addition to that, sexual immorality. They're, they're looking for the women that's lying there, or, or they're there at the temple and they want to lay with them. And, and so it just seems like the sins continue to multiply in their life. And now look at 23. Eli said to them, 
Why do you do such things? Now, I guess all of us have said something to that fact to our children, but isn't it sad if, if it's that serious? You know, I've, I know I've come in the room for, why did you do that? But imagine here is a, an older father looking at grown young men, and, and, and all he can do is throw up his hands at this point. Why do you live like this? He sees their perversion and their immorality, and notice what he says he has to deal with. This is rest of 23. For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. You see, their reputation was being marred. Now let's skip over to the third chapter, and we're going to read two verses out of order here. Let's read verse 13 first. Notice in the third chapter in verse 13, For I have told him that I... This is God speaking to Eli, or about Eli. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he... Here it is what Eli did wrong. He did not restrain them. Even though they were grown, at this point, God is still holding some aspect. Was it when they were younger and he's holding them responsible? Probably so. But he, as, as the leader, if you will, of the priest, he is holding him somewhat responsible to say, I have a problem. There was a time that you should have broken the will of your sons and you should have brought them back into check. And you didn't. They, they lived a life unrestrained. If they wanted to steal, if they wanted to pervert religion, if they wanted to, to commit immorality, you just allowed it to happen. Now, we know that to some degree, early, reading earlier in this text, that he spoke out against them, but it wasn't strong enough to stop them in what they did. Now let's back up to verse 12, and, and we're going to read this uh, verse that led into that. In that day, this is still the Lord speaking, in that day I will perform against Eli, notice that phrase, I will perform against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. The last point we made this morning was the fact that, that Samuel had God as his strength. They were partners together. Think how awesome it is to be a partner with God and think how terrible it is to be an enemy to God. See, now God's still talking about his strength, but now he's using his strength to say, listen, your family won't work with me? I can promise you this. I will perform what I said I will do to put your family in check. And he tells them that they're going to die and then just in the fourth chapter, their lives are taken. And, and so now let's go to this next slide and let's spend a few minutes here developing the, the rebellious life. What, what were the, the principles, the characteristics that developed this life? And let's make sure as parents we're doing everything that we can do to help our children avoid these things. Youth, let's make sure that this doesn't describe anyone here tonight. Number one, we see that they missed the purpose in life. Oh, they had a purpose in life, but they missed the true, the righteous, the pure purpose in life. We just read, by the way, all these quotes come from the passages, the six passages we just read. Uh, the, the first one that we referred to was when they talked about the meat that they wanted to steal. And they said, if you don't give it to us, we'll just take it by force. What's your purpose for living? Their purpose for living was to fulfill self-will. In other words, they did not stop and say, what is God's will in this sacrifice? What is God's will for us to live a moral life? 
What is God's will for us as priests to accept sacrifices and to take our portion? They didn't stop to consider God's will. It was, it was more like a struggle. And, and I like to bring up this example because maybe most of us here I can't, might say, I can't really identify with priests that go out and steal and literally by force say they're going to take something. But you know, many of us could probably identify with the struggle of self-will as it relates to Peter. Uh, if, if you want to be turning over to Matthew, the 26th chapter and 52, uh, we'll read this in just a minute. You remember when, when Peter uh, was, was standing close to Jesus, as Jesus was being arrested, you remember he was guilty of saying by his actions, oh, don't worry, Jesus, we'll take care of this by force. Hey, I'll make sure that everything in our religion goes the way it ought to go. And you remember what he does. He draws out the sword. Let's read in 26th chapter and verse 52. He draw, 51, he draws out the sword. He struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. And notice Jesus' answer in 52. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. You see, he actually thought that he was going to solve the spiritual problem by saying, let me do it my way. Let me bring out my brute force. Let me bring out my strength. You remember, this was something that Peter struggled with even earlier. If you back up just a few pages in your Bible to Matthew, the 16th chapter, you remember when Jesus spoke of the fact that he would suffer and that he would die and that he'd be raised again? And in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 22, Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. You see, what he was implying there was, Lord, you got friends like us around. I promise you, we by force will make things happen the way we want them to happen. You see that, that kind of, what's your purpose for living? Is your purpose to allow God to navigate through your life? Or is your purpose for living, even in your religion, is your purpose to say, by my brute strength, I'm going to make this work. Notice what Jesus said to him. This helps clear our mind. In 23, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And then it's in this setting. Notice, he compared two things there. Peter, your problem is you're thinking about things the way man would do things. You need to start thinking about things the way the Lord would do things. All right. Jesus, we understand that now. Can you summarize this for us? It's in that setting that Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see that, what was the cross to crucify? What do we crucify? Self-will. So now Jesus is saying to Peter, you want to really follow me the way you're supposed to follow me? Instead of acting all big and bad and saying, I'll make religion about my force, he says, take your big bad will and crucify it to a cross. And once you have totally crucified your self-will, now pick up that cross with your self-will dead and follow me. If anybody will come after me, let him deny himself, talking about his self-will, take up his cross and follow me. We looked this morning at Samuel. He realized his purpose. Remember, this was the, the place where he studied that he realized his ministry was to the Lord and his ministry was before the Lord. But yet on the other hand, here we see Eli's sons and their, their ministry was all about, I'll do it my way. I'll do it by force. Children need to be taught young 
Adults need to be practicing it throughout their lifetime. Our life is not about us forcing our way through life. You know, sometimes in relationships, we get in our mind that we can live somebody else's life. And if I just say things mean enough, they'll start doing it the way I want. If I, if I just use the, the meanest tone, they'll start doing things the way I want. Are we ready to surrender, Will? Say, so you know what? I can't live anybody else's life. But I can do this. I can crucify self-will and I can turn it over to the hands of God. And I can make sure that I'm living the way I need to be living. And when we can teach our children to do that, and when we can practice that, we're finding our purpose for life. But notice also as we go back uh, to our text, we think about the approval. Notice the second, except this time it wasn't approval. This morning we studied it was approval. This time it's disapproval. Remember the Lord looked down in the second passage we read, said that this sin that these young men were committing, he says, was a very great sin. We live our life before God. As a matter of fact, I want to read to you, and if you have your Bible open, you might, it's little things like this that I really think are significant. If you have your Bible open, you might look at 1 Samuel, the second chapter. We read this morning, verse 17, and, and we were talking about we live our life before God, so we're seeking His approval. Notice in 17, the word before the Lord. He says, therefore, the sin... I'm, I'm sorry, in, in verse 18. I want to talk about Samuel first. In 18, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. But now we look at Eli. Back up one verse in verse 17 and notice the words before the Lord. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. Isn't that interesting that God chose to use the very same wording? He says, look, let me, tell you the, let me show you these children. Here's Eli's sons. Their sin was very great before the Lord. Then he says, now, let me show, show you Samuel. Let me show you Hannah's son. He ministered before the Lord. Friends, we live our life on display before God. We don't do anything in secret because we're living it before God. We don't do anything that we get so far away that nobody knows that knows us. We are living all the time before God. And that's why it's so beautiful when we live a righteous life because we're living it for God. That's why we don't have to toot our own horn. God knows what we do. That's why we don't have to boast and brag about ourselves. God knows what we do. But also the opposite is true. Whenever we decide to live a sinful life, whether it's like Eli's son, very great sin, or even if in our mind it's just the smallest sin, we're doing it before God. In other words, what's the point? Why does God use two different sons, two different verses, back to back? Why does He say, I want you to see that your life is before the Lord? We need to live in view of the fact that we are constantly being evaluated. God is not out to get us. But God does want to know who wants to serve Him. Who wants to be His son. Who wants to be His daughter. And we need to make sure that we raise children that realize we're not living on an island out of sight of God. We literally say every word, every text, every action, everything we post, everything is before God. And God, just like with these two illustrations in, in the Scriptures, God either looks down and says, that was a sin before me, or He looks down and says, look at that ministry before me. 
Look at the good that they're doing in their life before me. And then notice what drove these individuals. And we've already referred to this when we looked at the sacrifices that they were stealing. You see, that's greed. As you see the third line there, the motive. We see that greed was driving them. We see that pride was driving them. I'll take it by force. I'll do it my way. And then when we read a little deeper, we see that lust was driving them. What is the motive that drives us? As we look to 1 John, in 1 John, the second chapter, we see a powerful writing in three verses. And, and we either love God or we love the world. And he tells us in 15, in 1 John, the second chapter, in verse 15, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, we choose either one or the other. Now, all sin can be wrapped up in one of these three areas. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You see how we see all three of those in the life of Eli's sons. And it's not of the Father but it is of the world. Now, why is that important for us to know? Because in verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now we're back to that word will. What did we crucify? We crucified self-will. We put it on a cross to follow the Lord. So self-will is crucified so that God's will can be exalted. And now he swings back around and says it another way. He says, by the way, if you've crucified self-will, you're not living proud of the life. You're not living lust of the flesh. You're not living lust of the eyes. If you've crucified self-will, now you're being moved by the love of God. What's the love of God? If you love me, keep my commandments. John the 14th chapter, verse 15. And so we see how important it is to say what moves us. What is the motives? And we can tell. We can tell by the way somebody talks. We can tell by the way they dress. We can talk, see about what they do. We can see where they find entertainment. We can see... uh, by a person's fruit that their life produces, whether or not they love God or if they're living being driven by the lust of the eyes and the flesh and the pride of life. And so in this study today, when we see these two sons, we see tremendous differences in their life. What's different? The motive that's driving them was totally different. So as we try to just summarize the result of this, notice they had a reputation. Remember, he he came up to them and he says, I'm hearing throughout all of Israel, all of Israel is talking about the evil that you've done. We talked this morning about the fact that everybody has a reputation. Every adult here has a reputation. Every youth here has a reputation. I assure you, we could get together just a few teachers at school. We could get together a few kids at school. We get together a few neighbors and we could question them. And you might say, I do not know a certain child here. We could talk to their teachers, a few peers, and a few people in this congregation that know them, and we could interview them, and you would know every child here very, very well. Why? Because reputation is real. You can't escape reputation. Every one of us is building it. We're developing it, or we're marring it. And so this is an example here where Samuel this morning had a wonderful reputation. But now we see Eli, on the other hand, his sons, his sons had totally ruined the reputation. And here's what, as we our families distance from each other, this is kind of a shame that this pressure's not here, but on the other hand, it's not that bad because the pressure ought not ever be the greatest on the physical family. It ought to be on the spiritual family. But any of us that grew up where there were a few generations growing up together, I know we have a few of those families here, but any of us that grew up in that setting, you knew that you watched what you did because you had a family name to hold up. 
That was regular talk. You didn't mar the family name. We need to realize that that's true spiritually. That we have a family name to hold up. And we need to make sure that our reputation is pure so that we do not bring a disgrace to God. But notice he said, God came to him and said, you did not restrain your sons. The word restrain literally means to hold back or to break. It is the ideal of breaking will. We need to make sure that as parents, we realize that one of the greatest responsibilities that God gives us is to break the will of our children without breaking their spirit. Nobody can follow the Lord unless their will is broken. We've already talked about it. Not only do we have to break it, we have to crucify it, put it on a cross, and drag it around every day where we say, I'm no longer living this person. Now I'm living for the Lord. And it is our responsibility as parents to help break the will of children so it can be molded back into God's will. We've all seen children that's obvious that they are spoiled. What do we mean by when we say a child is spoiled? It means they've always gotten their will. Whatever the child has wanted, their will was done. And we know that the end of that is terrible. Well, now instead of thinking about it in a broad sense, bring it down to a spiritual sense. What is it when someone is spoiled in the sense that their soul's not right with God? It means that they have decided to live their life based on their will be done, not God's will be done. And so God comes and he calls Eli on the carpet and he says, you didn't break the will of your sons. You didn't restrain them. You didn't mold their will to follow me. And then finally, we've already mentioned this, the strength. When, when Samuel it describes his strength, it says that he and God, that he grew and God was with him. And God's word did not fail. You see, they were in a partnership. That's our theme this year. With God, we can. We're in a partnership together. But we realize from studying Eli's sons tonight, they weren't in a partnership with God. Okay, what happens when I say, I don't have to be in a partnership with God. God says, all right, just know this. I will perform against you everything that I promised to bring into the lives of sinners. And so we look into our children, and we already mentioned this morning, we cannot live our children's lives. When our children uh, become of the age to make decisions, we can't make decisions for them. That can be one of the most painful and frustrating times of life of parents. And, and so the realization is that we realize as parents, our task is to do everything we can do, and then the rest falls upon the shoulders of the children as they grow and mature, that they develop their own spiritual roots, that they stand and they realize, I'm either going to stand with God's strength or I'm going to stand opposed to God's strength, and God's strength is always greater than ours, so it's better to partner with Him than otherwise. And so the challenge for all of us tonight, and, and, and I hope you're reading through your daily Bible reading. If you haven't read it lately, I just challenge you, go back and read the first and second and third chapter, and go ahead and read the fourth chapter of 1 Samuel, and just be noticing how it's obvious, how God says, I want to show you a good son. Oh, wait a minute. I want you to see this contrast to some wicked sons. I want to show you a good son. And I want you to see this in contrast to a bad sons. And I hope, I hope that the youth realize here the potential you have to do good. And that God in heaven loves you and, and He forgives you and He wants to save you and He wants you to serve Him. And I hope you also realize that you have a church family that surrounds you. They want you to do good. And I hope you realize you never make decisions that, that never that doesn't affect other people. Every decision you make, it affects your family. It affects your church family. It affects your reputation. And it affects our eternity. And so tonight, we ask the question for all of us, if we've made decisions that haven't brought us closer to God, tonight would be a time to make a decision 
to move closer to God. If you're not a child of God, why not make that decision? Why not make that commitment and come and as a believer, repent of sins and confess before men and be baptized? If you made that decision and somewhere along the way sin has separated you from God, won't you come back to Him tonight? Make that decision. Make the decision to find your purpose in life to fulfill God's will in every aspect of your life. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.